The well is an ordinary place that takes on extraordinary meaning through encounters with Jesus. Join Father Anthony Messer from St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church in Arlington, Virginia, in search of transformation, healing, revival, and refreshment. Good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA. Whether you are joining us here in Arlington or across the camera there in Leesburg, I know Leesburg is in a new home there today. I hope you guys are enjoying your new location. We here in Arlington, we miss you guys in Leesburg and Arlington. Let's, uh, let's say hello to the, everyone say, hello Leesburg. hello Leesburg. Can you hear us Leesburg? Well, I guess that wouldn't work that way. Okay, so say, uh, say Leesburg, the best is yet to come. Say, how much wood could woodchuck chuck for woodchuck could chuck wood? <laughs> ah, that's okay. We'll stick with just the best is yet to come. For those who are joining us today for the first time, we are in part three of a series called The Best is Yet to Come. It is a deep dive into one of the shortest books in the Bible, which is the book of Ruth. It appears in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters long. And as I told you guys last week or the week before, it is the biblical version of a rom-com a romantic comedy because it's not if you're an action adventure this is not for you because there's no like wars there's no like murderous plots that are foiled we don't even get a, a head cut off or a demon cast out not of good stuff isn't here this book four chapters is the equivalent of a rom-com because i counted there are 85 verses in the four chapters of ruth 85 verses 55 of them are dialogue so this is the biblical version of when Harry met Sally, in other words, okay? Because all it is, most of it is, is people talking back and forth. But as we have seen, it is a very inspiring book because it teaches us about the importance of the best is yet to come, no matter what we see. Our key thought for this series has been just around the corner from the worst is God's best. Say that all together. Just around the corner from the worst is God's best. I said this is the biblical version of a rom-com. How does every romantic comedy start? It always starts with some guy or some girl who's like hard on their luck, having a tough go at things, struggling. Of course, the thing that they miss most, they're needing most is love, of course. They're alone. They're struggling. And that's what we started in chapter one, for those who were here a couple weeks ago. In chapter one, we met Naomi and her family. And Naomi was a simple family. And they, she was married to a man named Elimelech. Okay, and they lived in Bethlehem, and then they moved because there was a famine, they moved to Moab. And once they moved to Moab, it went from bad to worse to worse to worse. Husband died, son number one died, son number two died, and then daughter-in-law number one, she left as well. So really, Naomi was really hard on her luck, and she was so down that we ended that chapter by her saying, the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. Chapter one was all darkness. Chapter one was all clouds everywhere. She had lost everything. All she had was this little glimmer of hope, which was her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And that's where chapter two came, because that's where the twist always happens in the romantic comedy. Then all of a sudden, when down on their luck, then all of a sudden, they meet someone, okay? And then all of a sudden, there's chance that there's a, a turn and uh, something's going to change. That was chapter two. Chapter two, we found out that Naomi was actually incorrect. When she had everybody die, she told Ruth, you don't need to come to with me because I don't have any relatives that you can marry. And in chapter two, we discovered, actually, there is a long lost relative, okay, again, rom-com, a long lost relative that we completely forgot about, and he happens to be this rich guy named Boaz, but what are the odds that you're gonna meet Boaz? 
What are the odds, even if that you meet him, that he's going to be into you? The odds are slim to none, right? Well, that's what we saw in chapter 2. In classic rom-com fashion, as fate would have it, that Naomi, I'm sorry, Ruth, goes out into the field to work. Okay, and she's gleaning out there in the field, and she's doing her work, and she's doing it, and she's not thinking about anything other than providing for her family. And then all of a sudden, she realizes that she's in the field of a man named Boaz. What are the odds? And then Boaz looks at her and is like, hey. And she looks at him and she's like, hey, as well. And all of a sudden, some sparks start flying. And all of a sudden, we're like, here comes the light. Here we go. We've seen the movie. We know how it works. They fall in love. That's what's supposed to happen. They're going to fall in love. They're going to live happily ever after. Woo, what a great story that was. What we saw last week between Ruth and Boaz we're tempted to think, wow, how lucky was Ruth? What luck that must have been. And our response to that would be, was that luck? No. That's called the providence of God. That's called, as we saw last week, is the maestro. God is the maestro of the universe. Ain't no luck. God is the maestro, and he moves Always, and he's always working, and sometimes he tells the tuba to go up a little bit, and then he tells the tuba to go down. Sometimes he tells the violin up a little bit, and then, of course, the oboe, okay? The oboe, he tells it up and up, and that's how God is working, and he is maestroing. The divine hand is working. We look at it as luck. We look at it as coincidence. No such thing. God, as we saw last week, uses natural circumstances to accomplish his supernatural plans. He does it all the time. He uses natural circumstances to accomplish his supernatural plans. He uses ordinary events ordinary conversations to accomplish his extraordinary purposes, extraordinary purposes in the world. And that's what we saw last week. So now, just around the corner from the worst is God's best, now we see it coming. We saw the worst in chapter one. We saw the corner being turned in chapter two. So now, here we go. The movie's done, right? All is good. If this was a movie, this is where the movie differs a little bit from the biblical account of real life. If this was a movie, that's it. Love is all it takes to take us home. Like, happily ever after. You know, we got love. We don't need anything else. What could be left after this? Well, the, power, the, 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 the title of today's message, chapter 3, is the power of synergy. Do you know what synergy means? What does synergy mean? The, def the de definition from the dictionary.com says this. Synergy is the interaction of elements that when combined produce a total effect greater than the sum of the individual elements or contributions. So synergy is when you have a bunch of stuff that maybe, okay, so this has a little value over here, this has a little value over here, this has a little value over here, but when you put it all together and you mix it up, the, the, the sum of it is greater than the individual, the, the, no, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. That's what synergy is. I'll give you an example to explain what synergy is. One time, my dad asked my children to do some chores for him around the house. He said, I need chores and I'll pay them. We said, no, dad, don't pay them. He said, no, I want to pay them. Don't pay them. Okay, he's going to pay them. They went to his house. They worked for eight minutes. They each received a $100 bill. <laughs> Did they earn the $100? No, because if they did, that's an equivalent of $750 per hour at that rate, okay? At the rate that my dad is, is, is shelling it out. But even though the chores did not earn the money, would they have gotten the money if they didn't do the chores? No. That's synergy. 
Synergy means you got to do your part and then God will do his part. But your part isn't as strong. Like your part is actually nothing. Like the eight minutes of work isn't really nothing. But if you don't do your part, then God's not going to do his part. Do you see how it works? You got to do your part so that God will do his part. But your part is nothing. But if your part, you don't do it, then you get nothing. That's what synergy means. And what we're going to see today is that God likes synergy. This is how God works. God doesn't need synergy. God can do everything by himself, but he doesn't like to work that way. Think biblically. Think of many of the miracles that Jesus did. For example, five loaves and two fish. Little boy brought five loaves and two fish. Jesus used it to feed 5,000. Did Jesus need the five loaves and the two fish? Did Jesus need the five loaves and the two fish? Of course not. The five loaves and the two fish, in light of the 5,000 men plus women and children, the five loaves and two fish equals nothing. But if there was no five loaves and two fish, there would have been no miracle for the 5,000. That's synergy. Same thing when Jesus turned water into wine. Did Jesus need them to bring water to him to make wine? Like if you can turn water into wine, you can turn dirt into wine. You can turn the ceiling fan into wine. Like he could have done that. But no, bring me the water. That's synergy. That you do your part, he does his part. I always think of uh, the, the parting of the Red Sea when, when, when Moses and the Israelites were going to cross the Red Sea and God said, I'm going to do this great miracle. I'm going to do this great miracle. I'm going to do this great miracle. He also said the same thing to Joshua. He said, you're going to cross the Jordan River. I'm going to make this Jordan River and I'm going to part it and you're going to cross it. Well, do you know why that, especially the Jordan River one, you know why that's very dear to my heart, that particular miracle? Because God said, I'm going to do this great miracle. You all believe? We all believe. We all believe. We all believe. But do you know how the miracle happened? They get to the front of the river. And it's a raging river. And God said, let the priest stand at the front. And the priest, I'm going to part the river, but only when the priest puts his foot in the river. So I always think, man, that's a great time to not be a priest right there. Okay? If there's ever a, a negative of being in the front of the line, that's when it is. Because it would be nice to be in the back and be like, go for it. Go for it, Father Anthony. You got it. Okay? We're right here. Okay? Right behind you. You go. But the way it had to be. Did the priest's foot make, was the priest's foot needed for the part? Of course not. It's not like he had magic and toe-gees or something like that in between there that they made the walk. No. But that's synergy. The synergy means you do your part and then I'll do my part. Said another way, our key thought for today. Oh, sorry, here's a verse. Proverbs 21, verse 31, then we'll get to our key thought. Proverbs 21, 31 says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. That's synergy. Deliverance, victory comes only for God. But if you don't do your part in preparing, then you won't get deliverance from God. So my part in preparing is what does it? No, your part is nothing. But you've got to have your part for God to do his part. Does that make sense? Said another way, here's our key thought. God's full control doesn't negate the need for my full participation. God's full control doesn't negate the need for my full participation. That's what synergy is. You may have heard this said. That we're supposed to pray as if it all depends on God, but work as if it all depends on us. You've heard that before? That's what synergy means. Synergy means God is going to do everything, but i got to do my part. And I, my part, I always think of the expression waiting on God. Because sometimes we take a very passive approach to our spirituality, and we're waiting on God to do and we're waiting. I need big things to be done in my life. I can't do that. I'm waiting on God, waiting on God. Well, that one also applies to me because even though I'm a priest right now, in a former life I was a waiter. Okay, a waiter, a waiter, a person who waits. And what I discovered is a waiter's job isn't to just sit there and go, I'm waiting until the person's ready. That's not a waiter. That's not a good waiter. What does a waiter do? 
Oh, are you, are you done with that? Are you ready to order? No, you're not ready? Okay, are, are you guys over there? And, and a waiter's constantly moving. All they're doing is waiting, 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 waiting. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? And the waiter's always got to be there. We need to learn how to be active waiters on God, not passive waiters, not just, woe is me, where is God? Active waiters doing our part. And then when we do that, we'll discover that God's full control doesn't negate the need for my full participation. We're going to see that today with Naomi and Ruth. Naomi and Ruth trusted God 100%. All their trust was in God. We saw last week, under the wings of God. But that doesn't mean that they just sat around and waited for God to work. They took initiative. They came up with a plan. And we're going to see that today in Ruth chapter 3. Let's pick up the story in verse 1. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? So after she met Boaz last chapter, Naomi said, this is going to be good. A, f- a little time has passed by. Probably a couple weeks has passed by. We see it's like at the end of the harvest or probably a month, something like that. And Naomi says, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Translation, girl, time to get a ring on that finger. You need yourself a man, girl. And now it's time to take an action on that. And we're going to do something about it today. And Naomi says, you today are going to take a step in that direction. Verse 2. Now Boaz, whose young, mim- whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So Naomi says, Ruth, we're going to make our move tonight on that Boaz guy. and He's going to be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. So it's clearly the perfect time to make your move. Why? Is it because that barley, everyone knows barley is the most romantic of all the grains? Is that the way it is? Is this haphazard? Nothing is haphazard. Again, full participation. Naomi had a plan. The way it worked, this is why I'm saying it's the end of the harvest. After they had collected all the wheat, okay, over the course of how many weeks, they would go to this thing called a threshing floor. Think of like an outdoor area, probably a big space like this, circular. And what they would do is they would take the wheat and they would throw it up in the air, And as they threw it up in the air, the wind would blow and the chaff would get blown away. The chaff is like the the, the part that you don't need. So they would throw it up. The chaff would get blown away by the wind. And what would fall to the ground is the good stuff. That's the profit. That's what you take home. So she wasn't just saying haphazardly, hey, it's a Friday night. Let's go talk to the guy. She had calculated it. We're at the end of the harvest. He's going to be at the threshing floor. He's going to be doing this thing. And when someone is at the threshing floor collecting the harvest, what kind of mood do you think they're in? Happy. Because it's payday. So basically she's saying, it's a payday party. So he's going to be in a good mood. So today we're going to make our move. We're going to go to the threshing floor and we are going to go for it. Verse 3. She tells her, therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So she says two things. First, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment. She's saying, last time you saw him, you weren't in the best of shape. Because you were doing the gleaning thing. Your hair was all in a bun. Okay, no, you know, and you were all sweaty. And you you weren't dressed in your finest. So she said, we need to go get your spa on, okay? Get your sparkle on, whatever it may be. Get, you need to look, you need to shine today, girl. So she tells her, look good and go. And then she gives her a piece of advice that I, this has nothing to do with our theme, but this is very important advice for every marriage out there and every guy, you will thank me for the advice I'm about to give. She tells her, her talk to him. When to talk to him. 
Do not talk until he has. Do not talk until he has. What does the, the word, inspired word of God handed down from above says, lady, do not talk to your man until he has finished eating and drinking. Finished eating and drinking. I'm going to give you marriage advice right here. This solves 50% of all marriage problems. Ladies, let the man eat dinner. Let the man eat dinner. You're going to have much better. Let the man eat dinner. My wife has learned this lesson the hard way. I, okay, so I, I like to eat, but by the same token, I'm not a, like, I need to eat every three hours. Like, I'm not like that. I can go hours and hours, hours without eating. In fact, yesterday was one of those examples. We were visiting my son in college, and we had a, a, a big a buffet breakfast with him, like brunch at like 12.30. Okay, and then we left to come back here, and we needed to stop for gas at 1.30. So I'm very efficient. I don't want to stop for gas and then stop for food later. So I ate a huge meal at 12.30, and then to her, not to her surprise anymore, I ate another huge meal at 1.30, okay? So I had two gigantic meals. Then I didn't eat again until 11 o'clock. I was in church all day. I didn't get home until 11. So I'm, I'm fine. I don't need to eat. But once the food is imminent, once, as I like to say, the launch sequence has been initiated, okay? Once it's like team, like once I smell the food and see the food, that's what we need. We would go to a restaurant. And Marianne likes to take her time in restaurants. My theory in restaurants is, you're going to spend the entire time waiting. Let's not add to the waiting more than is necessary. So we sit down. Okay, we pull out our menus. All right? And I'm just, and she's like, how was your day? <laughs> and I'm like, good. And she's like, what did you think? And I'm like, well, how are you thinking about that burrito? What do you think about that burrito over there? You want to supersize that thing, Marianne? Like, well, what are you thinking right here? One time, she said, as we got the menus, she said, excuse me, I'm going to go to the restroom. And I was like, <gasps> I was like, why? I said, there's going to be plenty of time to go. Let's, let's go, Marianne. Let's choose what we're going to order. And then let's go spend all, like, as much time we need in the restroom. And then the worst, guys, do you have one of these? Do you have a, my wife is not too bad in this area. Do you raise your hand or give me a grunt? Actually, no, you're probably getting in trouble for this. <laughs> but you know who you are. If your wife is a question asker on the menu, do you have one of those? A question asker? They're like, what does this come? And I'm like, ah, we don't need questions. Okay. That's why thank God now with the internet, what we do when we go out to dinner is we look at the menus in advance and everyone should know when we walk in, everyone's going to order what? Sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I, again, the word of God took me in that direction. I had no choice. Naomi says to him, Naomi says to him, let the man eat a sandwich. And in fact, let him throw down a cold one too that might not hurt the way that things go. Okay, let the guy relax. Let him eat his sandwich. Let him have a drink and then begin speaking to him. And now it gets time for Naomi to tell Ruth, here's what you're going to do. But before I show you the next verse, before I show you the next verse, I want to give you a warning. It's going to get weird. <laughs> it's going to get weird. Are you ready for it to get weird? Say, I'm ready for weird. I hear everybody say, I'm ready for weird. Verse 4. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. I told you it's going to get weird. <laughs> the great advice that she gives, the great plan that she comes up with, let him eat, let him have a few drinks, he's going to lie down and go to sleep. 
And the reason why he's going to sleep there, how did Naomi know he's going to sleep there? Again, proactive initiative, she had to came up with a plan. Because we did all day throwing up the, the, the wheat, so he's not going to just leave the profits to get stolen. He's going to stay there and protect it and take it in the morning. When he sleeps, go in, uncover his feet, lie down at the bottom of his feet, and do whatever it is that he tells you to do. Ruth's response in verse 5, all that you say to me, I will do. I have a teenage daughter. We have spoken about many subjects in life. Okay, boys, grades, parties, social. I've given her advice on many different subjects. I have never advised her to do this. <laughs> never once have I said, Lizzie, I want you to go to that party, wait till everyone is drunk, find a guy sleeping, take his blanket off, lie down at his feet, and then say the magic words, you tell me what we do next. <laughs> What's she thinking? What's happening? And Naomi lost her mind? What is she, how, how could she possibly say this? Tell me what to do next. Whatever he says do, I bet you he's got ideas of what to do next. I told you it's going to get weird. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. She came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled. Yeah, you'd be startled too if your feet were uncovered and there's a girl sleeping at your feet. Didn't just show up out of nowhere. The man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Let's pause right here. Let's try to break this down, what's happening right here. First thing, again, back to my original point. She takes initiative. She does her part. In fact, even Naomi told her, you're going to go, you're going to lie at his feet, whatever he says to you, do it. She even goes beyond that. She lies at his feet, and he's like, who are you? And then she proactively takes initiative. I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take me under your wing, for you are a close relative. I told you, this is a rom-com, a romantic comedy. There's a problem here. There's two expressions. That, Naomi, that Ruth says that seem contradictory to the idea of romance. First is, take me under your wing. Take me under, that's beautiful. Like, take me under your wing. That's something that's like, oh, wow, and it's so poetic. But then the vibe is kind of killed with the next expression, which is, you are a close relative. <laughs> that's where it's like, take me under your wing and romance me. Because we're closely related, you're like, oh, but in biblical times, it was okay. So don't let, don't let this throw you off right here, okay? This idea that you see inside the book of Ruth is a term that you may have heard before. It's called kinsman redeemer. It was something in the Old Testament. Basically, the way it worked is if I am married to my wife and we don't have kids, or even if we do have kids, I die, my brother, someone in my family would marry my wife in order to keep the inheritance that I worked my whole life for Keep it in the family. Keep the name in the family. Keep the lands. Keep our, our, our livestock. Keep it in the family. Because if I don't marry her, someone else will marry her, and then it all goes over there, so everything I worked for dissipates and goes somewhere else. So what has happening right here is that Ruth is, saying, is appealing to him as the kinsman redeemer. She's saying to him, you didn't know this, but you and I are related, and you can redeem me. 
You can do what this, 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 this Jewish custom was to do. So the name lives on. And the expression that she uses, take your maidservant under your wing. Literally, okay, if you go to like King James Bible or some older versions, take, your, your, take me under your wings, literally, is spread your garment over me. Even actually more literally, it's spread your skirt over me. So you read that, and it sounds sexual. Spread your garment over me, especially after the feet and the uncover and the stuff. But it's not sexual. And I'll show you where the exact same expression is used in a different place in the scripture. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. You tell me what you think this means. It says, when I passed by you again and looked upon you, this is God saying this, Indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you. Or again, same story. Spread my garment over you. I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. That's not about sex. That's clearly about something more. And that's what Ruth was saying. She wasn't talking in a sexual way. She wasn't making an advance on him. And he knew that very well. Because actually, he used the same expression, right? Actually, I brought that, yeah. He used the same expression, Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. The same expression Boaz used when he said, Lord, repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. So Boaz didn't take it in a sexual way. We look at it because we live in 2023 where we think everything is sexualized, and we say, she's coming on to him. But no, 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 I wasn't taken that way at all. What she's saying is, cover me with your garment. Cover my nakedness. I'm alone. My family is alone. You can redeem us. You can cover us. You can, you can open up, spread out your wings, and we can take refuge under the shadow of your wings. In essence, what she's doing, she's proposing to him. She is proposing to him. Because even the most godly guy, right, ladies? Like I had one for the men earlier, this one for the ladies. Even the godliest of guys, sometimes they need a little nudge, don't they, ladies? God, feel free to nudge your guy right next door if he's right next to you and he needs a little nudge. Feel free to nudge your guy today. Say, that's what Ruth did right there. She said, you can do this. And she's asking him to redeem her. Take me under your wing was not a sexual expression. It was a romantic expression. Saying, love me. Saying, let's commit to each other. It's the original romantic comedy line. Okay, it's the original, uh, uh, you complete me, okay, is what she's saying in this, okay, you complete me, like you complete me, I complete you, whatever it is, maybe, okay. And that's why Ruth didn't just say it with her words, she showed it with her action. She was lying at his feet, and that was Naomi's way to tell Ruth to show him what you mean. Take me under your wings, take care of me, I submit myself to you, you lead me, <clears throat> and ladies, I got to, again, this is where the text is taking me right here. This is a good picture of what it means to submit. You know how we always talk about wives submit to their husbands, okay? And we look at that, and some people are like, I don't like that submit thing, and can't we remove that from the wedding? Can we remove we'll submit? We don't like submit. I'm like, even if removed from the wedding, I can't remove from the Bible. Like, that's, that's above my, my pay grade, okay? I can't go in there and say Saint, change St. Paul's words. I think the problem, when we resist submission, we think we're resisting weakness, and in fact, the opposite is true. Was Ruth weak or Ruth strong? 
It took a strong lady to go and do the feet thing, okay? And to go and say, and she put herself in a situation where I'm saying Boaz didn't take it in a sexual way, but let's say he did. Okay, she'd have been in a tough situation and only a strong person would be able to do that. That was Ruth. Ruth proactive. Ruth is not weak. Ruth initiative. Ruth strong. But Ruth also very submissive because submission has nothing to do with weakness. Submission has nothing to do with weakness. And in fact, submission takes strength. A weak person cannot submit. Ooh, that's a good one. A weak person cannot submit. Someone who is weak will never submit because they feel like they're losing themselves. I can't give up myself. If I submit to him, where am I? No. You know who's the picture of submission? Who's the ultimate model of submission? Jesus. He laid down his life. He laid down his will. He said, I submit fully to the Father, and as the Father tells me that, I'm going to do that. And not only he submitted to the Father, in a way he submitted to us, and that he laid down himself for us. That's not weakness. That's strength. And I'll say this. I believe nothing is more attractive to a man than a submissive wife. Not a weak wife. Not an insecure wife. But a wife who is confident enough in who she is to be submissive. This talk isn't about marriage, so I'm going to kind of throw that out there and move on. But I believe that I would be doing a disservice because I realize that what I just said is not popular opinion. But all I'm going to say, and then I'm going to go back to Ruth. All I'm going to say is before you subscribe to popular opinion, see where popular opinion ends people up. That's all I'm going to say. Because popular opinion is against what I'm saying. But before you subscribe and say, no, popular opinion says this. This is what, well, see where popular opinion leads to. See where it leads to. Okay? See where biblical advice leads. See where popular opinion leads. And you make whatever decision that you want. But I would say... Ruth was not a weak person by any means. She left her family, left her land, left her culture. Took, she said, she didn't say even, I'm not going to come and just be with, with, with Naomi and watch her die. I'm going to come, I'm going to roll up my sleeves, I'm going to get in the grain field, and I'm going to take care of her. She was a strong woman, but she was also a woman who understood the power of submission. What is our topic is not marriage, but I believe the same thing that I said, how attractive it is to men. I also believe it's attractive to God. And I believe that in the end, God wants us to do exactly what, 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 what Ruth just did there with, with Boaz, which is to put ourselves at his feet and say, you take care of me. Where you lead me, I will go, under your wings. And you say, what does that look like? What does that mean practically? Let me give you practically what I think submission looks like. Because again, I think it's a, it's a word that gets misinterpreted. Submission is less manipulation, more cooperation. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Less manipulation more cooperation. Sometimes we think of submission, okay, now I'm talking about to God. We think submit to God, we think of it in a manipulative kind of way. I don't mean in a, in a sneaky way, but I mean that we think it's our job to manipulate God to move where we want him to move, and we do it by submission. So here's the example. Is that God is driving, and I'm riding shotgun, and I'm like, turn left. And then I'm like, okay, turn right. Okay, go faster, go slower. But God is driving. God, you're driving, but go faster over here. I'll go over here. And we're like, God, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And then we like nudge him over and we push the gas a little bit for him right there. Then we grab the wheel. Okay, God, you're, you're driving. I submit myself to you. Like, uh, you know, Kitty uh, so Lord have mercy. We submit ourselves at your feet. Whatever. But hurry up over there and go over there or whatever it is. That's not what submission is all about. Submission, what, I'm, what that is, that manipulation, that's what I call bribery. That's God, if you do A, then I will do B. 
I believe it needs to be more cooperation, which is God, you're driving the car, I'm sitting here, where you leave me, I go. So you tell me. That's what we talked about before, last week, under the wings. You tell me. So God is driving the car over here, so here, I accept over here. And this is where I'm going to be. And I want it to be over there, but God drove the car over here. I cooperate with God. Synergy. But I really don't want to be here. So then God drives the car over here. So I'm like, okay, this is much better. And I'm happy over here. But then, so you know what, God, that, that's, what, that's, that's what submission is all about. It's not about me convincing God to do my will. It's about me giving him the keys to the car and buckling up and see where he leads. I have another analogy that I think makes this clear and if I don't get major brownie points with my wife for this one, <laughs> on our honeymoon. That's a good start. We're in a rom-com mood today, okay? And I took a few shots there at the submission, and the wife thinks, let me try to get some points back. <laughs> on our honeymoon, <clears throat> I unknowingly did something which was A, very romantic, and B, very spiritual, okay? And it was, that's dumb luck, because okay? I got to back my way into it right there. We were together, we were on the beach, okay? We had been married, you know, 15 minutes or whatever it was, okay? And it was a lot of waves, okay? And I like the waves because I, I like to play in the water. You like to run and like fight the waves. It's like a thing we used to do when we were kids. But Marianne is more of a, you know, those air mattress things and lying it out. Like, and she, she's more of that. So the waves were a little bit rough. So I'm like, let's go in the waves. You know what I mean? Because they were rough and I liked the rough waves. And she didn't like the roughness as much as me. And then there's a little bit of a height difference between us. Okay, there's, you know, like a little bit of a height difference between us. So I need to go in deeper so that I can, you know, like you got to get the shoulders underneath or else you're going to get sunburn and things like that. So, but she was, you know, there's a height difference. Okay, so we were in a little bit deep for her. So I said to her, you know what I said to her, okay? What I said to her is, Marianne, just hold on tight and you'll be okay. Thank you very much. Only one all? Only one all? You guys are miserable people. At least there's one, one romantic person in this place. Thank you very much. I said, again, I said, hold on to me tight and you'll be okay. And all the people said, thank you so much. Very good, you heartless people. What's wrong with y'all? I wasn't talking romance. I wasn't talking spiritual. I was just talking literally, hold on, let's go deeper is what I wanted to say. But you know what? I believe that that day, we actually always talk about that. That, to me, is what Ruth said to Boaz. And that's what I think we're all supposed to say to God, which is my job is to hold on tight. I'm going to hold on tight. I'm going to hold on tight. And I trust that if I hold on tight, I'll be okay. I might be in some dangerous waters. I might be in deep over my head. I can't stand here. I can't stand. I'm gonna I can't stand here. Just hold on tight. Just hold on tight. But if you hold on tight, we'll be okay. That's what Ruth did. And Ruth did it both to Boaz and to God. Ruth did it to her husband. Ruth did it also to her God. Under your wings, I take refuge. <clears throat> if that ain't a perfect picture of a strong woman, I don't know what is. <clears throat> We're going to wrap up the chapter now in, in classic rom-com fashion. What is required in every rom-com, as soon as things are going great, there has to be a twist. Let's get to the twist to wrap up this chapter, which we'll conclude next week. Verse 10, then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, 
For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you do not, did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. In case close relative didn't ruin the romance for you, Boaz insists to call her my daughter, which I think makes it worse, okay? I don't know why they can't okay, stick with the romance here, but again, for them, this wasn't unromantic, okay? But it kind of kills it for us. But what he's telling us here, which we, we, we can deduce from other, re, other factors, is that there was probably a pretty big age gap between Boaz and Ruth. Boaz is probably much older. And he's saying to her, basically what he's saying is, I didn't think you'd go for a geezer like me. But blessed are you because you could see that I am your redeemer. And you weren't fooled by the, 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 the young men with all their, their, their good looks or whatever it was that you saw past that. Verse 11. And now my daughter. I don't know why he sticks with the daughter thing. Okay, but. And, if we, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. He's saying you are clinging to me and saying take me under your wings. He's saying hold on tight, baby. Because I'm not going to let go of you either. And just when you think, okay, everything is perfect. They ride off into the sunset. Here comes our twist. Verse 12. It says, now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Dun, dun, dun. Verse 13. Stay this night in the morning, and it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. He says, there's another person out there that has a rightful claim on you. So you know what? True love isn't there yet. We're not there. It's like a Romeo and Juliet. And can we be together? Whatever it may be. And we'll see how it works out next week. But spoiler alert, it's going to be okay. okay. Don't worry. Okay. Love wins. Okay. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay in the end. But what he says here, I wanted to point out right here. He says, stay this night, and then at the end he says, lie down until morning. I, again, I can't, just, I can't fast forward this. The righteousness and the godliness of both Boaz and Ruth. In other words, what he's saying right here, we are romance, and we're take me under your wings, and we're uncovered naked feet and whatever it may be, and we're all by ourselves out here, and nobody's going to know. But he's saying, we're not doing anything. Even though the stars are out and the romance is in the air, you're going to lie there? We are not going to break God's laws. Why? Because now we've come full circle. Because Boaz knew what Ruth knew, what Naomi knew, which is that God's full control, God's full control doesn't negate the need for my full participation. Boaz said, God gave us a great gift, but we've got to do our part. And our part is we're going to walk under his law. And God is going to bless us beyond imagination. But that's only going to be because we're going to walk in obedience to his commandment. And the, the principle is so true in every aspect of life, especially relationship, but in every aspect of life. If you want God's blessing tomorrow, then you obey his laws today. But if you break his laws today, don't be surprised if you don't find his blessing tomorrow. That's the principle of life. And especially when it comes to relationships, single people, I can't stress this enough. If you want God's blessing for tomorrow, then you have to stay obedient to his commands today. But you can't have this way and that way. You can't say, God, give me your blessing in the future, but say, I don't care. That's exactly like me saying in this building right here, I want a beautiful fourth floor and fifth floor with windows, but I want junk in the foundation. I don't care about the foundation. Put just Play-Doh. Put Play-Doh in the foundation, but build me a big, huge building that goes all the way to the sky. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. You put the foundation of God, you get the building of God. You put the foundation of disobedience, I don't care. 
I do my own way. You reap what you sow. Boaz and Ruth had every excuse to break the rules. They were in love. Everything felt right, but they didn't. They said, God's full control doesn't negate the need for my full participation. And as I said, it's going to work out pretty well for them where they end up being ancestors of King David, who is ancestor of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Why did they receive this great blessing? Because God is good? Or because they did their part? No, because the both of them together in synergy, I figured I'd put in a mathematical formula right here in case you want to see. I would say divine providence plus faithful, proactive obedience equals unstoppable synergy and blessing. You need both. It's not just, I do my part, I do my part, I do my part, I do my part, God's going to bless me. No, that's not how it works. And it's not just, I do absolutely nothing, and God is so big, and God is so great, God's going to do amazing things. No. It's God is big and, and amazing, but I got to do my part. And when the two are together, my part never equals that, but it, God will never do his part without my part. That's what synergy is all about. That's where we're going to stop the story today. We'll leave a little bit of suspense for what happens. And as we, as we kind of fade to black right now, okay, at the bottom of the screen, you'll see, not really, but I'm saying like in the, if you're watching this as a movie, you see to be continued as the audience, okay, the applause from the studio audience. And it'll be to be continued. And what you're thinking to yourself is, what's going to happen next week? Will this other relative, this bad relative guy who's just in it for the money probably, okay? We're going to vilify him if we don't know who he is. Is he going to steal Ruth away or will true love win in the end and Romeo, I mean Ruth and Boaz get to be together and, and live happily ever after? <clears throat> you can probably figure out where it's going to go like I said, but I'll just give you one hint as to where we end up next week. I'll give you one hint. What's the title of this series? The best is yet to come. Let's stand together for a prayer. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your divine providence, which is always working in our life in ways that we'll never understand. Lord, we trust that you are the great maestro of the universe, working in our life today and every single day. Lord, give us to be faithful in doing our part. Reveal to us, Lord, what command of obedience you're asking us to walk in and help us to be faithful, knowing that our thing will never equal the thing that we want from you, but our thing is, is, is an essential piece of it. So give us, Lord, to be proactive. Give us to take initiative like Ruth did and like Naomi did so that we can receive a blessing the way they did. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.